in the book of John, and that's the title, uh, spoiler, uh, Jesus Loves Haters is the title of this message. We're going to be in, in chapter 5, uh, starting in verse uh, 18, and I'm not going to read it ahead of time, this is a longer passage, and so I'm just going to read it uh, as we go. How many of you have ever been criticized before? Raise your hand. If you've been criticized, raise your hand. Keep it them. Keep your hand up. <laughs> if it's constructive. Now, now we know that there's there's multiple types of criticism, right? There's there's criticisms there's criticism that's constructive, destructive. Right? There's criticism that tends to you up, that tends to be helpful and there's criticism that tends to that tends to break down or harm it's it's criticism that's meant to hurt thank you and we tend to know the difference right when uh, I was a project manager several years ago uh, the worst job I ever had this particular job. I was about 26 years old and thrown into an area I, had, I knew nothing about. It was in databases and data warehousing. I had no idea what it was. But they said, you're a consultant. Go and do it. And so I was thrown into the lion's den, so to speak. And we were all working seven days a week, especially the developers and the, and the testers who were on on my team, and I remember even, it was so bad, I remember uh, one of the development managers, her breaking down and crying and saying, Caleb, our people have not been able to see their families. Because I'm like pressuring them, I'm like, you know, we have a deadline to meet, we got to meet this deadline. And I remember one time at this meeting, we had this meeting, about 12 people, and uh, I was presenting a project plan, which is an outline of all the different tasks that need to occur. And I remember probably in his late 30s, and he, he, he starts just lighting into me. He says, he says, Caleb, aren't you the project manager? How come you don't have your F independency details up there on the thing? And he just said several more choice words in an angry tone, in a loud tone, in front of everyone. Like, I, at that point, that's not constructive, that's destructive criticism. And one of, the few one of the few times I can remember in a work setting losing my cool, I responded back in anger with a few of my own choice words and said, we're so busy executing that we don't have time for your flipping plan. There's developers who aren't seeing their families weekend after weekend. So I was mad and I responded back. And I just remember, if I only had the authority, like, I would have put him in his place. Like, I just, if I was like that undercover boss, you know, like, boom, you didn't know who you were talking to. Like, I would have fired him on the spot. I would have sent him home. I said, you know what, I'm going to email you the project plan, or I'm going to mail it to your house with explicit instructions on exactly where to put it. That's what I, that's what I would have done, no doubt. How do we respond when we're criticized? 
here in this passage, Jesus is being criticized by the Jewish leaders of his day. They've accused Jesus of overstepping his bounds. Jesus, you're breaking the rules. Jesus, you're committing blasphemy. These critiques, these criticisms are aimed at Jesus. And they're not constructive criticisms. We're going to say, we're going to see that it's, these are people who want Jesus dead. They're not trying to correct his understanding of things. They want him dead. And how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus' authority lead him to fight back with anger and with power and with vengeance? Does he use this opportunity to fire the Jewish leaders as I would have done? This morning, I want to look at Jesus' response in four parts. The first is that Jesus tells us why we can believe him. Jesus tells us why we can believe him. The second is Jesus tells us why we should believe him. Why we should believe him. And the third, Jesus tells us why we don't believe him. And then Jesus tells us why we will believe him. Those are the four parts of Jesus' response that I want to look at. The first, Jesus tells us why we can believe him. We can believe him because he has the right authority. Jesus has the right authority. If I told you that I can get the President of the United States to come and have lunch with us after the service, can you believe me? I'm not even asking if you should believe me. I'm asking, can you believe me? And the answer should be no, because if you know me, you know I don't have that kind of authority. I have no connection to the president. They're not picking up my call, right? I don't have the authority to give you the warrant to even think that's a possibility. You can't believe me if I don't have the right authority. And so whether or not something is even possible has to do with authority. It starts with authority. If you have a question about your health, you don't call your accountant. You call a doctor. If you're having relationship issues, you don't go to see your butcher. Hopefully. You go to see a counselor. And so, depending on the domain of life, there's an appropriate level of authority for that domain. And so the question is, we look at the scriptures, as we look at what Jesus is communicating, we're talking about not just one particular domain of life, we're talking about the entirety of life itself. Life and death at its highest level, who has the proper authority to speak to that? And the answer is God. God is the only one who can look at someone's life as a whole and speak with authority to every single part of our lives. And so what Jesus is going to do is show you that I have that kind of authority. That's the kind of authority that Jesus has, the authority to speak to every single part of our lives. So um, context, verse 16 and 17, John hit this last week. 
the reason why there's accusations, verse 16, against Jesus. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What was he doing? He was healing. Remember, we met the man who was, who was basically paralyzed for 38 years. Which is interesting, 38 years. It's the level of specificity that speaks of oddity. It's not 40 years or 30 years, it's 38 years. He was paralyzed, and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, the day when you're not supposed to work like that. Not only that, he commands this guy to get up and take up your mat and walk. Which again was another breaking of the Sabbath command. You shouldn't You shouldn't carry things on the Sabbath day, which in their day would have been Saturday. And so the Jews were persecuting Jesus because of these things. And Jesus' response was, my father is working until now, and so am I. And they got even more mad. Because now Jesus is not only breaking the Sabbath... He's equating himself with God. And this is how they interpret it. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They were already seeking to kill him. Now it's all the more because he's just up the ante by saying, I have the same authority like my father, God, who's in heaven. And, and there's no, it's unmistakably clear. Some, some people will, will try to posit that Jesus is, is not saying he's God. It's, it's crystal clear. Jesus is undoubtedly saying he is God. He is divine. He has the same authority that the Father has. And the people of his day, the Jewish leaders of his day, understood exactly what he meant. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if Jesus is merely human, then he is guilty, right? Like, none of us can sit here and say, oh, we can break the rules because my father is doing the same thing. Or we can't call ourselves that because we're not. But Jesus now is going to demonstrate why he's being truthful, why we can believe him, because he does have that kind of authority. And so I'm going to read um, verses 19 through 29. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only... For whatever the Father does, loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing... And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word... And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself 
as he has given him authority, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There's four things here that Jesus says in response that demonstrates his divinity. The first is that Jesus sees everything his Father is doing. Jesus sees everything his Father is doing. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Why is this important? Jesus is saying that I have a special relationship with God. And, and he later he says, no one else has heard God. No one else has seen his form. But what Jesus is saying is, I have seen God. And I see everything God does. Behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, he sees everything. He's saying, I have a special relationship with God. One that no other human being has. Jesus is making that claim. Number two, Jesus performs great works. Verse, uh, second part of verse 20. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. He's, uh, the second is, is kind of obvious. He's doing these miraculous signs. He's, he's lifting up someone who was paralyzed for 38 years. Like, this is not someone who was, like, paralyzed three months ago, and, you know, maybe their nerves are going to grow back, and they'll start regaining movement. This is someone who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Like, that doesn't happen, that people who are paralyzed for that long just get up and walk. Jesus is saying, like, look at what is happening. These works are, are, are meant to show you that they can only be explained supernaturally. It's a testament of his divinity. And third, he says he has the ability to give life. Jesus has the ability to give life. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And what he's saying is only God has the ability to give life. Like people can get together and they can procreate, but, but it's God is the one who brings life in the womb. He's the one who, bring, who brought life in the beginning when he created the world. And what Jesus is saying is, I have that same ability because the Father has granted, just as the, it, the life exists in the Father, the Father has granted that ability to Jesus. He has the ability to give life and him alone. Fourthly, Jesus has the abil- authority to judge. Jesus has the authority to judge. Verse 22 and 23 The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You think about this idea of worship and honor. Like the same way that we worship God is the same way that we're called to worship Jesus. It's one and the same. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to judge because the Father gives him the authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's really important, this last one, Jesus having the authority to judge, because it's not just in one particular area of life. 
What he's saying is, I have the ability to judge all of life. And that authority comes from God who created life. And he's given me the ability to give life. And so therefore, he's the judge of all of life. And he says, which if you look at verse 29, it's all coming to a point where he says in verse 29, or actually verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The truth is we're all going to be in tombs. Someday. Hopefully, much further in the future, but for some, more sooner. We're all going to be in tombs. And he says, everyone who's in the tomb is going to be resurrected. Everyone, everyone has a destiny that goes beyond the grave, beyond the tomb. And and Jesus is saying is, I want to prepare you for that day. That's his purpose. He says, some are going to be resurrected to life. But he says, some will be resurrected to judgment. And he says, that those who have done good will be resurrection will be resurrected to life and those who have done evil will be resurrected to judgment now what does that mean this this mean works based salvation if i knuckle down and try hard enough and do good enough then i'm going to be resurrected to life and and if i just spend too much time binge watching netflix i'm resurrected to judgment I don't think he means that. If you, if you look back at verse 24, which I read, he says, Jesus says this, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Present possessive. I have it. When? When you believe. When you trust. When you trust Jesus... Something happens. That's why he says, when you believe, you pass. Pass this. You pass from death to life. And now you have something that's yours, not on the basis of any works that you've done, but on the basis of saying, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. I follow Jesus. You have eternal life. So when Jesus is saying, those who are raised to life based on the good that they've done, what is the good that he's talking about? The good that he's talking about is rooted in the new creation that we're made when we believe in Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, you see this idea, you will know a tree by its fruit. That's the idea. God makes us new trees. And as new trees, it bears the fruit of faith. And so he looks at the fruit of faith. He says there's fruit there because there's faith. And that is the good that is done. It's the good that Jesus first does in us through faith to to make us believe, to open our eyes so that we can see our need for a Savior, Jesus. 
And so Jesus is saying, I have the authority over all of life, and I know that every one of you is going to end up in the tomb, and I want you to be prepared for that day. Don't trust in your own self for salvation. Trust in Jesus. We can believe in Jesus because he has the authority over all of life. But the question then is, should we believe in him? Should we, in other words, should we believe in his claim that he's God? And Jesus answers that question as well. Jesus tells us why we should believe him. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say there's a fictional restaurant that's opening up in downtown Renton. It's called Best Burgers. Okay? Best Burgers. Now, You've never been there. It doesn't actually exist, but let's say it exists. And they put out a sign. They put out a sandwich board. And on that sandwich board, it says, we have the best burgers in Renton. Should you believe that? You can answer. No. Why? Haven't tried it yet. haven't heard anything say anything about it is it would you expect a restaurant named best burgers to put out a sign that says we have the best burgers in Renton why because it's self-serving right of course a business is going to say we have the best of something if they actually want to sell whatever their product or service is. a self-testimony is not really worth that much now if let's say a well-known chef that you respect and know says i just tried one of these burgers from best burgers and it's the best burger i've ever had now should you believe yes okay maybe right shaking your head it at least gets you thinking right if if someone you know and respect like today in marketing we call those influencers Right, these are people who have some social capital, usually within a particular domain. So in this case, we're talking about a chef or a food critic or someone foodie who, who knows food. And you trust their judgment, and they say, this is the best burger. Then it at least makes you go, hmm, maybe it is. Now, you go in, and you visit Best Burgers, and you grab their bacon double deluxe or whatever you're your fantasy burger is and you and you bite into it and it's juicy and it's good and it's delicious and and sure enough it's the best burger you've ever had now should you believe of course right you've you've you've, you not only have seen the sign but you've heard the recommendations and now you've tried it and you have all these witnesses that are testifying to the goodness of that burger. And that's exactly the argument that Jesus is making in this passage. Let me read verses 30 through 39. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself... My testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. 
you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. And the, oh, <clears throat> his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So here, Jesus is basically going through that illustration. He's saying, my testimony about myself, is if, if I'm the only one saying things about myself, it's not true. So he goes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like the, the, the influencer of his day with regards to religious things. It says that they were, for a while, able to bask in his light. Like, they actually liked John the Baptist at first. He had a measure of success. He had a measure of fame and notoriety such that thousands upon thousands of people were going out to participate in the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, at the peak of his ministry, said, it's not about me, it's about the man who was to come. I'm preparing the way for someone greater than me. And when Jesus comes to be baptized, he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John directed all of his people to Jesus. That was his purpose. Right? The, the, the person who would have had the influence of his day amongst people who were seeking God says, Don't seek me. Don't seek my baptism. Seek this man, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's saying, that's the first witness. Jesus is saying, but not only do you get a witness who testifies about me, I'm actually giving you a taste of who I am. Yourself. And so he talks about the works that he's doing, the miracles that he's doing. He's changed water into wine, right? He's, he's seen into this woman's life and told her about everything she ever did. He healed the man by the, by the pool who was paralyzed for 38 years. He healed the, the son of an official from 20 miles away by the words of his voice, he was giving them the burger. Taste, see the power of God in your midst. That is an even greater witness than John the Baptist's witness. And then he finishes by saying, the Father himself testifies. Like God himself testifies of who I am. And we see that it's more of a holistic sense of things. Certainly we understand, certainly we understand, we see the, the Spirit descend upon Jesus when he's being baptized. So the Spirit of God testifies of who Jesus is in the presence of those around. And then the Scriptures themselves, like Jesus will later say, the Scriptures testify about me. God's Word is meant to point people to 
Jesus. And so those three witnesses, John the Baptist, the works themselves, and the Father in heaven all testify. They, they all provide sufficient evidence about who Jesus is so that not only can we believe, we should believe. We should believe. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to the Pharisees, to the Jewish leaders, you should believe. You have enough evidence. And yet some still don't believe. The Jewish leaders that he's speaking to don't believe. Even, In fact, they want to kill him. And so Jesus, my third point, Jesus tells us why we don't believe. And it's not the reason the Pharisees are giving. The Jewish leaders are saying, Jesus, you're not God. They're saying, Jesus, you broke the rules. And therefore, we don't believe you. We don't believe in lawbreakers, and we don't believe in blasphemers. We don't believe you. And Jesus is cutting through those fake news reasons for why they don't believe. And he's going to cut to the heart of why they really don't believe. Verse 39, Jesus says to these Pharisees, to these haters, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. He's saying they're searching for life in the wrong place. Now, we might say, you know, isn't reading the Bible a good thing? Isn't it good to search the scriptures? We're a Bible-preaching church. I preach from the scriptures. Isn't it a good thing? And the answer is no if you read it the wrong way. No if you read it the wrong way. Jesus says they're searching through the scriptures, thinking that in them they have life, but he's saying the scriptures point to Jesus, which means they're reading the Bible, but they're missing Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, you've missed the point of the Bible. That's what Jesus is saying. The words on the page don't give life. You can memorize the whole book of the Bible, and that will not save you. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, knew the Bible really, really well. They could quote it. They could even follow it a lot of traditions and a lot of rules. They could even tithe like their thyme and their rosemary. They were that good at following the Bible. And yet, Jesus tells them they miss the point completely. They thought that in the scriptures, in the words on the page, that they had eternal life, but they said, the scriptures point to me and you've missed it. How can you miss it? How can you miss Jesus if you're looking in the scriptures, if you believe that the Bible is the words of God? I think Jesus, Jesus gives us the answer of why they missed it. Let me, let me read, uh, let me read this, the rest of the verses here. Verses 40 through 47. Yet, You refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. 
If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If we go back to the best burgers illustration and you've heard the chef talk about how good that burger was and then you've tried the burger and you know how good the burger is is there any reason why you still would not believe it's the best burger what is that Maybe you just haven't had it. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. Not the one I was thinking of. Um, you might have a different... No, I'm saying you've tasted it, and you're agreeing with, in your mind, this is the best burger I've ever had, but I'm not going to believe it. If you... Pride. Pride. And, and, and how I was thinking about it, if you owned another burger shop. You don't want to believe it. Even if you taste it, even if you see it, you don't want to believe it because you don't want to lose your shine. You don't want to lose your publicity. You don't want to lose your your source of, of feeling good about yourself. If you feel like you're in competition with the glory of God, then all of a sudden, you refuse to believe. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you look at verse 44, so we know they refuse to believe, verse 40. But verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you? In other words, you can't believe if your focus in life is to receive glory from one another. In other words, they're searching the scriptures not to find Jesus, but to find themselves. They want to be the hero of their story. And indeed, we see elsewhere, when we see pictures of the Jewish leaders of their day, they love the recognition that came with their position. So if they could demonstrate to others that I'm a, I'm a rule follower and I do it well, then they get the praise and they get the accolades of other people. Good job, Rabbi. How are you doing, Rabbi? Teach us about God. And they love that. And they built up eternal life and salvation in their minds and in their soul based upon how well they try to follow the laws and Jesus is a threat to that he's saying Jesus says you cannot save yourself like that's the point of the Bible is to point to our inability and our weakness to be able to save ourselves and point to God who's the only one who can save us through Jesus and he's saying you missed the point You've looked at the scriptures for eternal life and you you haven't found it because you're looking for yourself. You're looking to be be the hero of your own story. 
Jesus is saying that he is the only way to eternal life. But I want to point out something about Jesus that's very beautiful in his response. Remember, Jesus is responding to critics. He's responding to his enemies. He's responding to people who want to kill him. He's responding to his haters. And Jesus, there's this verse that that sits in the middle of this passage, which is remarkable. And this is related to the fourth point. Jesus tells us why, why we will believe him. Let me read verse 34. Jesus says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's talking to people who want to kill him. And what Jesus is saying is that everything I'm telling you is not meant to destroy you, but is intended to save you. I'm giving you constructive criticism back in response to your destructive criticism. I'm using all of my authority to love you and to give you grace. I'm saying these things to you so that you would believe. And, and, I, and I think about what I would do in that situation. I know what I would do in that situation. So I think about when I'm wronged or when people are attacking me with, with the intent to destroy or hurt. If I had the authority, I would put them in their place. I would say, see you later. I'll send you packing. And I don't really care what happens to you. But Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying in the midst of people that he knows will happily cry out and praise God when they're nailing Jesus in the cross. He's saying to those people, to his haters, I want you to believe. I'm saying this so that you will stop trusting in yourself and will trust in me. I'm giving you the words of life. And that's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Not all of us are moralists in the sense that we try to follow or we try to save ourselves by obeying rules. But a lot of us in this culture, we're moralists in different ways. Some of us think we can save ourselves by, by, by just saving the environment and having the right political policies or political affiliation. Some people believe we can save ourselves through diet and exercise. Some people believe we can save ourselves through what car we drive. And so that's the waters we swim in, especially in the Pacific Northwest. It's, you know, to be honest, not everyone reads this Bible. They're not all Pharisees, but they're moralists, no doubt, just in different ways. And what God is saying to us is no matter what method of moralism you choose, it's bankrupt, it's empty, it's burdensome. And Jesus has come to give us freedom in his son, in Jesus, through his blood. He purchases eternal life. And so I want to encourage us as we look to the scriptures, look to Jesus. Because the scriptures are about him. And, we, and, and the reason why I said Jesus tells us why we will believe him, because Jesus didn't come here hoping that he would save. He came here knowing he would save some. And his word goes out and it accomplishes what its purpose and intention was. And so I want to encourage us to believe Jesus, to trust 
Jesus, to, to have the assurance that we get when we have eternal life that comes when we believe and trust in Jesus, not because of how well we've tried to follow the rules, not because of how well we've tried to be a good person in society, but strictly because we've looked to Jesus and Jesus has said, if you will follow me, you will have life everlasting with your loving creator. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself through your word, that we have a relationship with a person. Lord, that you've adopted us into your family, that you've created a, a community that is filled with your spirit and united together by your son. Lord, I ask that you would help us to believe, help us to trust, help us to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would free us from the burdens of self-salvation, that you would free us from the burden of self-glorification. Lord, that you would give us hearts that desire your glory more than we desire glory from other people. Father, would your spirit work in and through us to conform us into your image. Help us to, to bear the fruit of faith. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, I also want to invite you, um, as you're, when you're ready, to partake.